Aren't you thankful that Christ is our cornerstone this morning? Thank you, Ben, the worship team, for that. We've been talking about uh, the real God. Uh, my name is Nathan Parikh, and I get to serve as the young adult and communications pastor here at Hallmark. And so today we are going to be continuing our series on the real God. Uh, so far in our series, we, we've been talking about how, how we view God is the most important thing about us. Because how we view God affects every other aspect of our life. If you're new this morning, so far we have talked about how God is good, God is sovereign, God is holy, and last week we talked about how God is wise. But before we jump into today's message, I've asked two people to come up here and join me really quickly. Uh, Morgan and Maddie, if y'all would come on up here. Um, as we talk about the, the real God this morning, I thought it'd be helpful uh, just to have a couple of our people come on up. And I appreciate them being willing to come up. I promise I'm not going to embarrass them. And I told them I wasn't going to make them say too much. And so I'll uh, start with Morgan. Um, Morgan, I just have one question for you, first of all. Okay. First question is, what is your favorite Bible verse? Uh, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, and why is that? Uh, it tells us who we are and why we're here. Awesome. Thank you. And Maddie, what is your favorite Bible verse? Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10, and why? Because it reminds us God's always in control. Awesome. Thank you. Well, to thank you guys for being willing to come up here on stage in front of everyone. Morgan, I have $20 for you. Maddie, I have $1 for you. Everyone give them a big round of applause. <laughs> thank you both for being willing to participate. Now, how many of you are a little bit bothered that I gave Morgan a $20 bill and Maddie a $1 bill. Is anyone bothered by that? Maddie, got a lot of people on your side. Maddie's really bothered. Okay, good. I think a lot of us, we see that and we say, that's not fair. And we have this built-in uh, justice gene in most of us where we say, hey, we, we want life to be fair. We want justice to happen here in this life. But as we continue to learn about the real God this morning, we will see how God is just. But as we look at the world around us, we know that we do not live in a just world. Our um, Pledge of Allegiance ends with the line, and justice for all. And while that's a good thing to aspire to, we know that there's no place on this earth that we can go and find perfect justice. So as we continue to learn about the real God, this morning we'll be focusing in on how God is just. The word just and justice are thrown around a lot in our culture, and even as you read the Bible, you will find the words just and justice in there. And so I figured it'd be helpful to have a, a common understanding of what that word means. Webster defines just as acting or being in conformity with what is morally upright or good. It means to be righteous. And most of the time in the Bible, those words just and justice are, are linked to righteousness or to being righteous. But as you look at the world, if we believe that God is a just God, but as you look at the world around us, we, we can see that we do not live in a righteous world. We live in a world full of brokenness. We live in a world full of suffering, full of injustice, and that often leads us to ask why. And so this morning, we won't be able to exhaustively treat every aspect of God's justice. 
But to help us understand it better, I want us to look at three stories in the Bible that will help us at least get a better glimpse as to how God is just. And the first story this morning is found in the book of John. If you would open your Bibles with me to John chapter 9. This, this first story is going to teach us about God and suffering. God and suffering. When you talk about suffering, the distorted view of God says that God could not be just because there is so much suffering in the world. How could God be a good, just, righteous God when I look around and see so much suffering, so much pain in the world? It, it um, makes us ask these questions of why, why would God allow me to lose my job? Why would God not give me a spouse? Why would God allow someone that I love to suffer from disease or to die? Why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? There was a guy that I went to college with. He was a year ahead of me. He was one of those guys that everyone liked to be around. Uh, he was student body president. He was involved in all of these different things on campus. And he had to drop out early because he got cancer. Eventually, though, his, his cancer went into full remission. He was able to marry a girl that he had met at school. Uh, but just three months after they got married, his cancer came back. And it came back with a vengeance, and he did not survive his last bout with cancer. And, and that's just one story from my life. In this room with all of you here, there are uh, no doubt countless stories of suffering in your own life and suffering in the lives of other people that you know. Every day, countless tears are wept by children who are suffering from starvation, from abandonment, from abuse. Suffering is a real part of this life. It's a real part of this world that we live in. So we have to ask ourselves, how does that fit with God being just? And so to get a little more perspective on that, let's look at John chapter 9 together, starting in verse 1. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. From this story, we are going to see that the real God uses suffering to accomplish his plan, and he will eventually end all suffering. The real God uses suffering to accomplish his plan, to accomplish his will, and he will eventually end all suffering. In verse 1, we can see that God cares about us. He cares about our suffering. Jesus is walking through this town, and he sees this man. This man doesn't call out to Jesus. This man isn't asking for help. Jesus takes the initiative in this passage. In the first seven verses, we don't even hear this man say anything. Jesus is reaching out to him because he cares. God is not ignorant of our suffering, nor is he indifferent to the suffering that you are going through in your life. Oftentimes we are tempted when we feel, when we are going through something painful, when we are going through something difficult, it can feel like we are alone. It can feel like God is not there or that God does not care. But all throughout Scripture we see that God cares about the suffering and pain that you and I experience. And in verses 2 and 3, as the story goes on, we have to realize that suffering is just a part of what it means to live in a broken, sinful world. In this culture, at this point in history, being blind essentially doomed you to a life of being on the streets. 
and there was really nowhere else for you to go. And so, not on, and on top of that, not only were you destined to that life of poverty and sickness, but there was also the social stigma that either you or someone in your family must have done something wrong, something sinful, for you to suffer like this. And in this man's case, even the disciples of Jesus look at him and say, hey, this guy was born blind. Did his parents do something sinful? Did someone do something wrong to cause him to suffer like this? But Jesus makes it clear that it was no one's fault that this man was born blind. It is just an effect of living in a sin-cursed world. And like the disciples, when we go through suffering, one of the first questions that we often ask is, God, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to feel this? Why do I have to experience this pain and this suffering? But we have to remember that God is good and that God is just in both the good times in our life and in the bad times. We often feel close to God when things are going our way, when things are going as expected. But when things all of a sudden take a turn for the worse, we, we think that God has somehow abandoned us. But God is just and he is good in both the good and the bad times. But even more than that, he can redeem our suffering. In, in verse 3, uh, we see that Jesus says that God has allowed this man to be born blind so that God's power can be shown. You know, God is so powerful that he can turn the effects of this sin-cursed world around and he can use those sufferings, those sufferings in our lives to accomplish his plan, to accomplish his purpose and his will. And when we are suffering, it is so easy to forget that. But the source of your suffering that you might be asking God to take away this morning could be the very thing that he wants to use in your life. That painful circumstance, that difficulty, that source of suffering, that just might be the thing that God wants to use to draw you closer to him. If we read the Bible, God never promises to take away our pains, to take away our sufferings, to uh, give us our best life now. He always promises, though, that he will be with us through the pain. He will be with us through the suffering. In Scripture, as we read the lives of God's people, oftentimes he does not give them paths around suffering, but instead he is with them through the difficult times. He's with them through the hard times. And so God does not leave us. He does not abandon us in spite of all of our suffering, but he can use that instead to do something even more miraculous, even more meaningful in our lives than he otherwise would. But this story also gives us hope that there is coming a day when God will end all suffering. Let's pick up in verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed, and he came back seeing. The healing of this man gives us a glimpse into the future. Because all throughout the Bible, God has promised that there is coming a day when there will be no more suffering, when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more heartache. That day is coming, and the healing of this man gives weight to that promise. The healing of this man shows us that that is indeed possible, that God can heal suffering. And when a follower of Jesus suffers, we should suffer with the understanding that all suffering is temporary. Sometimes temporary means a few weeks. Sometimes temporary means a few decades. 
as was the case with this man here in this story. He was not a child. He was not a teenager. He was a full-grown man. He had suffered in total blindness for his entire life. And so we have to understand that as believers, when suffering comes into our life, it may last a short while, it may last a long while, but eventually it will be done away with, and we can have hope in that. So we live in a fallen world, and part of that means that in this life we will experience pain, and we will experience suffering. But God cares about the suffering that you and I go through, and he has a plan to use it for his honor, for his glory, and your good. So that leads us to the second story, and that is found in Matthew chapter 11. If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Story number two teaches us about God and injustice. God and injustice. The distorted view of God says that God does not care about the injustices committed against me. Because if he did, then he wouldn't have allowed them to happen in the first place. People ask, how can you trust God to be just when the world that he controls is so obviously unjust? How can you believe in a God of justice when bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Why is it that crooks live in the lap of luxury? Why is it that people at work who lie and cheat continue to work their way up the corporate ladder? Why is it that criminals that we all know are guilty are able to get away because of a loophole or a technicality in the law. And even when we as followers of Christ experience years of God being faithful to us, one raw deal of injustice can make us question and ask God, why do you allow this to happen? The story of Matthew 11 is a really telling interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist. Back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison. Now John had been faithfully preaching, he had been faithfully preparing the way for Jesus. He was the forerunner to his ministry. And John had faithfully done what God had asked him to do. As part of his preaching, he also was calling out King Herod for his personal sins. And Herod did not like that, and so he puts John in prison. Again, John had done nothing wrong. He was guilty of no crime. He was simply doing what God had asked him to do. He was speaking the truth, and now he was in prison for it. By the time we get to Matthew 11, he had been in prison for roughly 18 months. And one, one more thing to remember is that John the Baptist was also the cousin of Jesus. So they were relatives. So for the last year and a half or so, Christ has been preaching. He's been performing miracles. He's been doing all of these amazing things. And if I was John, I would be on the lookout for my get-out-of-jail-free card to come very, very soon. Right? Not only am I a faithful preacher, not only am I a prophet, I am the cousin of the Messiah. Surely I am not just going to be left here to rot in jail. But as time goes on, John continues to sit. John continues to wait. And in the chapter right before this in Matthew, Jesus has just talked about how there's all these people in the world that need to hear the gospel, and there's not enough people to go out and preach. Well, at, at this point in history, at, at this point in time, John is the most qualified preacher out there besides Jesus. So it's like, hey, if you're needing preachers, why are you letting the best one just sit and rot in prison? Let him loose. Let him go. Use him. He's available. But instead we see he sits in Herod's prison. Let's look at verse 2. 
Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here I can't help but sense some doubt on the part of John. Like, hey, did, did we misread you? Did, was, was I correct in saying that you were the Messiah? Because if you're the one that is going to make all things right, you know, what's happening to me is not right and needs to be fixed. And so John here, he is suffering injustice while the evil king is living in comfort. But thankfully, God can handle our honest doubts. And Jesus here, he, he responds by giving proof to John of all of the miracles that he has performed that are all evidences of what the Messiah was supposed to do. But then he adds on this line in verse 6 where he says, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I heard a preacher explain this as Jesus saying, Blessed is he who is not upset with how I run my business. Right? God is in control. And it's not our place to question what he does. Blessed is the person who says, I, I don't understand it all, but I trust a good God who is wise, who is just, and who has promised to one day make all things right. And so the real God asks us to trust that he will make all things right. Oftentimes, sometimes in this life, but for sure in the next. God will one day make all injustices right. But it's not going to be on your terms or on my timetable. We have to trust God. And this should change the way that you and I live our daily lives in this unjust, in this unfair world. You know, there are Christians who are living with a tremendous amount of anger and bitterness over hurts that someone else has done against them, over the injustices that they have experienced in this life. And those hurts are valid, and Jesus never tells us to not be hurt by the injustices, but what he has called us to is to trust him to handle it. God has not called us to live in the grip of bitterness or anger over what other people have done to us, but he has called us to live with forgiveness and trusting that God will one day make all wrongs right. He has promised to balance the scales. You know, when, when someone hurts you, even if you never act anything out, it's tempting to think about bad things happening to them. Or when you see something actually go wrong in their life, you take secret pleasure in that. That is not what God has called us to as followers of Christ. He is the one who handles justice, not you and not me. We are to trust the results of this life to God, knowing that he is good, trusting that he is just. God has a much bigger timetable in view than we do. And we talked about this last week talking about how God is wise, right? God sees the big picture, and God will one day make all things right, either now or in eternity. And so often, Jesus does not focus us on the here and now. So often, Jesus is pointing us to a future time. He is constantly telling us, hey, your, your life is not wrapped up in the things, the events, that happen here. Your life should be focused on and pointed toward a future time that will be much, much better. 
And so back to the story of John, he goes on to say that John the Baptist is the greatest man to have ever been born. Jesus says that about John the Baptist. That's a super high compliment coming from the Son of God. And so you would think, all right, so now he is going to set John free. But he never does. He had the power to. He's been, he's been performing all of these miracles, doing all of these amazing things. He could have just spoken the word, and John could have been free. But instead, Jesus allows him to stay in prison. And in Matthew chapter 14, the wicked king, Herod, he beheads John the Baptist. So you think, well, that's kind of a downer. And yes, in this life, there will be injustice. But we have to go through this life and through the injustices, trusting that God is wise, that he is good, and that he is just, and that he has promised to make all things right. He will one day balance the scales of justice. And so that leads us into our very final story. If you would turn to Luke chapter 23, this will be the final passage that we turn to this morning, Luke chapter 23, you will see the culmination of these themes of God's justice as we see the theme of God and sin, God and sin. We have to ask ourselves as we think about this whole topic of justice and injustice, you know, why do we even care so much about justice in the first place? Animals don't care about injustice. Why is it that human beings have this innate sense of this is right, this is wrong, this is fair, this is unfair? We have to realize that the reason why is because we were created by a just God, and we were created in his image. And when God created all things, he created them to be good. Whenever God made the universe, when God made the world, when God made mankind, there was no suffering. There was no injustice. But the Bible says that when mankind rebelled against God, when we disobeyed him, that sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, injustices and sufferings came along with that. So sin is the root cause of suffering. Sin is the root cause of all injustice. And so if that is the root of the problem, then that is what needs to be addressed. Ironically, though, many people don't want God to deal with the root of the problem. We would love for God to deal with the symptoms of injustice. We would love for God to deal with the symptoms of suffering. But because God is just and loving, he has to deal with sin also. God hates suffering. God hates injustice. And so he hates sin as well. And he has a solution to deal with all of them, to put all of them to an end. And so the wrong view of God says that because God is love, it means that he overlooks or that he ignores our sin. Because God is so loving, that means I can do what I want, and because he's so loving, there will be no consequences. He will never ask that any payment be made for the sins that I have committed against him. And while the Bible does talk a lot about the love of God, it is also just as clear that God is a just God. And so because of that, he must deal with sin. And so this, this uh, distorted view is also rooted in a low and a wrong view of sin as well. We don't think of sin as being that big of a deal, right? Is this small little sin here, is that really going to send me to hell? 
just doing this one little small thing, is that really going to offend God so much that I must pay for it forever? And again, because of our distorted view, we have a low view of the holiness of God. We have a low view of how violent, of how evil sin is in God's eyes. And we don't understand why God has to punish sin. So we have to find ourselves, when we have this distorted view, we we find ourselves in a kind of weird situation. We want God to deal with our suffering. We want God to handle all of the injustices that are done against us. But when it comes to dealing with me and my sin, then we don't want God to be quite so just. But God has shown us that he must deal with sin as well. So as we turn to Luke 23, we have the culmination of the story of Jesus that addresses suffering, injustice, and sin. Starting in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We had to ask the question, if sin is not a big deal, then why did God allow his son to suffer and die like this? If sin is not a big deal, why did God allow Jesus to endure something as excruciating painful as the cross? Because God is supremely holy and just, he supremely hates sin. No one is more holy than God. No one is more just than God. And so no one hates sin more than God does. This passage shows us what the real God is like. It shows us that the real God's love supplied what his justice demanded. The real God's love supplied what his justice demanded. See, justice is not a standard that God follows. There's, there's not a book with a definition of justice that God has to make sure that he's following. No, God is justice. Just like God is love, he is just, he is justice. It flows from him. It's who he is. And so we have to understand that because he cannot ignore sin, because he is so just, he must punish it. And we understand that, right? If, if there was a criminal who was guilty of a heinous crime and the judge just were to let him go free, you and I would call that a great injustice. How much more then does a just holy God have to address the sins of you and the sins of me? And one of the greatest questions then in all of the Bible is this. If God is just, then what does he do with us? 
What does he do with me if God is this just? How can he forgive me then? Because his justice demands that every sin that has ever been committed by every person be paid for one way or another. And so if that is how just God is, then how can he also save us from his justice? And so the Bible also teaches us that he is full of love and that he is full of mercy. And we see here in this passage that Jesus is the answer to both God's justice and God's love. Christ lived a perfect life and he paid the ultimate price for us. In verse 41, the thief here on the cross, he understands that he is being justly punished. He was a criminal. He's reaping what he has sown. But then he looks over at Jesus and says, hey, this man, though, is innocent. This man does not deserve to be punished. But all of God's just wrath was being thrown down upon Christ here on the cross. You know, the reason why Christ's death pays for our sins is not because some people whipped him and some people crucified him. The reason why the death of Christ pays for our sins is because all of God's just wrath was thrown down upon him. Because Jesus took the full force of God's hatred against sin upon himself. He took my sin and he took your sin upon himself and suffered the full wrath of God on our behalf. That is why his death provides a way of salvation for you and for me. Peter describes it as the just dying for the unjust. Jesus the just, he's dying for you and me, the unjust sinner that are worthy of God's wrath and his punishment. But Christ absorbed the wrath of God so that someday when you and I stand before God, we will stand there because of our faith in Christ, legally free and legally clear. We will belong there. Because if you accept the free gift of salvation through Christ, then all of your sin debt has been transferred over to Jesus. Jesus takes all of your punishment, all of God's wrath on your behalf, and you can experience the full love and forgiveness of God. Christ is both just and the justifier. See, we are not saved by the removal of justice. We are saved by the satisfaction of justice. We often think that salvation, that God's love, means that God simply removes his justice and just gives us his love. But what the Bible teaches is that we can be saved because God's justice was satisfied. God's love provided what his justice demanded. On the cross, Jesus took our judgments. And suffering, injustice, and sin are all part of the story here of Jesus on the cross. He is suffering this extreme physical torture. He's suffering this extreme physical pain. And on top of that, he is suffering this great spiritual agony of being separated from the Father and taking all of our sins upon himself, of being treated as guilty as if he had committed all of the sins of humanity. Jesus understands what it means to suffer. No one understands suffering the way Jesus does. And like the disciples asked him back in the first story, when they see this suffering, they asked, who sinned that this man is suffering like this? We look at Jesus and ask that question, who is suffering or who sinned that Jesus is suffering like this? And it wasn't him who sinned. It was you. It was me. We sinned, and Jesus suffered for it. But we see that through the suffering of Christ, 
God accomplished his will of salvation. Again, God uses suffering to accomplish his will. And we see that most clearly here in the suffering of Jesus. We see here on, on the cross that Jesus endured injustice. Jesus could have escaped it. Jesus could have skipped the whole thing if he had wanted to. He could have taken vengeance on the soldiers who had beaten and crucified him. But instead, he suffers in silence the injustice of life, he, the injustice of the cross. Because his end goal for us was not a good life here on earth, but eternal life with a good God. And because of that, he endured the injustice of the cross. He died a violent death because even the smallest sin is a violent offense against a holy and just God. He suffered more than you or I ever could. He suffered the worst injustice of all history. And he did it because you and I are guilty of sin. He was innocent, but we are guilty. And our passage here in Luke ends with the promise of salvation to the thief on the cross. With all of his sins being paid for by the one who is being crucified right next to him. And Jesus promises him that because of his faith in him, that he will experience eternal life. Because right there, Jesus was paying for that man's sins. And so this points us to what the solution for the root of the problem is. Remember, the root of the problem of injustice and suffering is sin. And the solution for that sin can only be found by trusting in Jesus. When we think that we can be made right with God in any other way, we overestimate our goodness and we underestimate the goodness of God. Only through Christ can you and I be made right with him. His loving justice is the solution to our sin, to our suffering, and to injustice. And so we've seen in these three stories just a small glimpse of what the real God is like. He uses suffering to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purpose in our life. He asks that we trust him to make all the injustices that we experience right. That in his time, the scales of justice will be balanced. And finally, we see that God's love supplied what his justice demanded. This view of God may not match what your ideas of him were when you came in here this morning. They may not match what culture tells us God should be like, but all throughout Scripture, God says, I am who I am, not I am who you want me to be. And here we see God portraying himself as a just God, but he's also a God of love. And he does not contradict each of these characteristics. Instead, he fulfills both of them primarily through the cross of Jesus Christ. Each of these three stories address a different perspective of God's justice. They address an issue of the heart that you and I have to deal with. But for each of these things, the solution is Christ. As Ben and the worship team come up, there are two groups of people here this morning that I want to talk to. For the first group, you are going through a time of suffering or you have experienced great injustice in your life. And I hope that from the word this morning that we can see that God cares about the suffering that you are going through. He is not ignorant of it. He is not indifferent to it. He cares about what you and I 
experience. But you have to ask yourself, when your, yourself, whenever suffering comes into my life, am I going to blame God or am I going to trust him? When injustices come my way, when life is not fair, am I going to trust that he will one day make all things right or will I let anger, will I let bitterness eat me alive? And that's the choice that you and I have to make. And for someone else here this morning, maybe this is the first time that you realize that God is truly just and that he cannot just overlook your sin and my sin. Maybe you thought that sin was not a big deal. Maybe you thought that sin was something that God could just unconditionally forgive and let go of. But this morning we see that Christ died because sin is so serious. Christ died because sin is such a violent offense against him. And either you can pay for them by suffering God's wrath, or you can accept the free gift of salvation through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. You might think, well, I'm a good person and I've tried to live a very moral life. You know, going to church, praying, reading the Bible, volunteering, giving a little money, those are all good things. But if we think that those things can make us right before a just God, then we don't understand Christianity. Then we don't understand how just God is and how serious our own sinful hearts are. There will come a day when justice will be served for all of eternity. And we can either trust God and meet him as our savior, or we can try to do it on our own and meet him as our judge. And so this morning, that's the choice that you and I have to figure out. Am I going to trust that God's plan for justice, that, that, that the sacrifice that Christ made on my behalf, that I'm going to accept that, or am I going to reject that and say, you know what, I'm going to trust in my own good works. I'm going to try to earn it on my own. I'm going to try to justify myself before a just and holy God. Until we take shelter under the sacrifice of Jesus, you and I will be exposed to his justice. We will be exposed to God's wrath. He took your sins upon himself so that you and I would not have to suffer for all of eternity. God loves you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him, not under wrath, not under condemnation, but enjoying the privileges of a son and a daughter of God. And so if someone brought you here today, or if this is your first time here, I want to encourage you, we're going to have some people down front in a few moments who would love to talk with you. If a friend brought you, I would encourage you to talk with them. To say, hey, I don't know for sure that I am a follower of Christ. I don't know for sure that I have been justified by the blood of Jesus. I've been trying to maybe justify myself through my good works or through my attendance in church. I've been trying to live a good moral life. But now I realize that I have to be placed under the blood of Jesus in order to be forgiven, in order to be made right with God. And so if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you this morning to repent, to turn away from your sins, to believe in Jesus, and be saved. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank and praise you for your love. We thank and praise you that you are a good, just God, and that even though we are so sinful, 
you have made a way for us sinful people to be made right with you. That you allowed your son Jesus to take the full force of your wrath and your judgment on sin so that all of us here could be made right before you. And Father, I pray that for every believer in this room, for every follower of Christ who maybe is suffering or going through injustice right now, that they would trust you, that they would bring that pain, they would bring that heartache, that would bring that justice, that injustice before you and trust that you will make all things right. And Lord, I pray for those here who maybe thought coming in that they could earn their way into heaven, that they could be good moral people and stand before you justified. I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts and their eyes now to see that it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus that they can be saved. I pray and ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Everyone in this room has something to do. I want to encourage you to come before God this morning. You, you can pray right where you are or you can meet us down front.